We are in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. I'm picking up a sermon that we started kind of last week, really. We've been doing a series called Disciples Making Disciples. We really fundamentally believe that this is a church, and Crosspoint is a church, not where we come and just sit and stay, but a church where we come and get equipped to go and make disciples. Uh, We want to be a, a church, an embassy, not a club. A place where uh, you say, hey, man, this is where I get trained in how to worship God and how to connect to community and how to get equipped to do the ministry that God has for me. We, in a very robust way, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that every member is a minister, that every member is a missionary, that every disciple is a disciple maker. And so that's kind of the dream, that Crosspoint would become that training ground. Uh, Six acres, no no debt, uh, a future as bright as the promises of God, a threshold season in our life where we give thanks to those who came before us, but we are looking for firmly ahead to what God is doing, and you might be called to have a very specific place in that ministry and in our church, and, and, and so you're praying about that, and I'm praying about that. And so the big question for us is, okay, I'm called to do something, to be a light, to be a disciple maker. What has God given me to do that? And one of the things that the Bible teaches us about is something we call spiritual gifts, and we started looking at that last week. And the probing question of spiritual gifts is this. When I got saved, I got saved, I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. And I was lost. I was on my way down. My parents reminded me of that all the time. You're going down. And I was going down rapidly, descending into a pit of hell that I'll never fully explain to you. And guess what happened? God reached down into my dungeon, into my spiritual death, and he pulled me out by his grace. It was like a light came into my dark world and opened my eyes to what I didn't realize I needed all along, which was a relationship with God. I didn't realize that my restless heart would would remain restless until I had a relationship with God. And I realized that I had sinned against him, but Jesus had paid the penalty for my sin on the cross. He he was my substitute. And then he defeated death. And he saved me. And I believed in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the grace of God, I believed in Jesus. And God said, I have adopted you into my family. But from that moment on, the one thing that the Holy Spirit keeps pressing into my life is this. Is the message of God's love and God's grace and his, and his salvation, is that message going to stop with you or is that going to spread through you? Have you been blessed with salvation to be blessed by God or to be a blessing for God? That's the big question. Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, God came into his life and he was like worshiping the moon and, and he, was, he was hanging out with his pagan daddy and brothers and aunts and, and all of that and, in, a, in a lost land and a lost culture and God came to him and said, I am calling you to go to a place that you've never been before and I am going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And I would say to everybody here, first of all, if you don't know God, God is opening up to you an opportunity to have a relationship with him 
through and in the name of Jesus. But the second thing is if you are a believer and a follower of Christ, he has not blessed you to privatize your faith, but that your gospel that you believe, this blessing of salvation might spread through you. Amen? And we are dispensing. We are evicting. We are kicking out. Oh, I almost fell there. We are kicking out of our identity any kind of overly privatized spirituality that has been domesticated by an American culture that makes sure that we are all so private and we do everything on our own and God's just going to bless me in my own little corner. Listen, God is blessing us not to be the individuals of God, but the people of God that is the light of the world, salt of the earth, missionaries making disciples. May God release that identity in our church and in our ministry. And spiritual gifts is a major, major part of that role. What is it that God has gifted me in to do this work and to be a blessing so that the message doesn't stop with me, but it spreads through me? 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says something remarkable. We looked at it, started last week, we looked at it briefly. But he says that everyone has been given a gift. Look at verse 7, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. He says to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That manifestation of the Spirit, what that means? You're like, what's that mean? That sounds so churchy. All right, I'll tell you what it means. It means that we've each been given something to show the Spirit, to show God. To each has been given a manifestation or a showing of the Spirit for the common good. What Billy Graham puts it, Billy Graham's so simple sometimes and yet so profound, right? He's so great. What he says is that every Christian is to build up the body of Christ, and every believer has been given different tools to do that with. Those tools are the spiritual gifts. He goes on to say, look, skip down in verse 11. He says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit. All of these what? All of these spiritual gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In other words, the sovereign Holy Spirit of God has come into our itty-bitty life that seems so meaningless at times and so monotonous and so routine. The sovereign spirit has come into our life and he has equipped us with a gift to show off God in this world. That is a revolutionary idea. That idea got lost in part of church history when we went into the dark ages and the church became only a hierarchy of specialized priests. And the Reformation happened in the 16th century and Martin Luther recovered every member of the church is a priest. A priesthood of believers. Ministers for God. And as we begin to think about how have I been gifted, what do I do with these spiritual gifts? Paul goes on to tell a very dysfunctional church, by the way. If you ever, you're like, sometimes we get discouraged about our church. It happens. There's seasons. Amen. We're just being honest. We're not in a season like that right now. Hallelujah. There'll be discouraging times. 
And if you ever get discouraged about your church, just do a background study on the church in Corinth, and you'll be very encouraged. They were really dysfunctional. And what he's trying to tell a dysfunctional, divided church is like, look, you've all been given these spiritual gifts, and you've got to use them. Every single one of you got to find them and use them. And then he begins to break down how we can use these spiritual gifts so that we can discover them and so that we can use them without abusing them. And and so he begins to break down the purpose of these spiritual gifts. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, and then let me get to the main part of my sermon starting in verse 12. Watch this. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. What's he saying there? He's saying you're all, he's been saying, you're all very different and you've been gifted differently. And yet you're gifted differently for one united purpose. Point number one, how can I use my spiritual gifts and find them? Remember, the aim of spiritual gifts is to show off Christ. That is the purpose of spiritual gifts. If you want to use and not abuse, if you want to spread the message and not the message stop with you, remember, you have been gifted to show off Christ. You see it there in verse 12. It says, you each are members of one body. Everybody say body. So it is with Christ. We expect him to say, so it is with the church. But he doesn't say that. He says, so it is with Christ. Skip down to verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. What's the implication? The implication is you are not the body of yourself. Can I get an amen? You're not given spiritual gifts to show off yourself. You're not given spiritual gifts to prop yourself up or to make other people think greatly about you or for other people to value you. You are given and you now belong by the Holy Spirit, not to the Jewish race, not to the Gentile race, not to being slave or poor, not to being a a free man and rich or social uh, 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 status that society puts on you. You now, because of your conversion, have been baptized and you are now the body of Christ and therefore you represent Jesus. And so the aim of spiritual gifts is to be the body of Jesus Christ, to point to him. And every single believer has been given a gift by which you can point to Jesus Christ. In other words, we are to make visible in this world the invisible Christ through our gifts and through our talents. As a church, we are to make visible the grace and the love and the salvation and the gospel to embody Christ in the world. What was it Dietrich Bonhoeffer said during World War II when the German church was absolutely capitulating to Hitler and he looked at the German church and he said, we are becoming invisible. And isn't Christianity becoming invisible in our culture? And whose responsibility is it that Christianity gets visible in this world? You and me. 
we make visible the body of Christ, the gospel of Christ. We make visible who he is, what he's done, his person, who is Jesus. He is the eternal son of God who became a completely fully human being at his incarnation. He's the God-man that unites and reconciles in his very nature the divine and the human in Jesus. He is the way to God because he is God who is the man. And what is the work of Jesus? He died to forgive us. We were his enemies. As Eric talked about, we were his enemies. And he died for us. And how do we use our spiritual gifts to embody that? You know what? We forgive one another. We don't hold grudges. We don't, we don't hold over everybody judgment and, and, and send everybody to hell in our mind. We reach out. We forgive. We reconcile. We love. We serve. We lay our life down. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In that, you are embodying Making visible Jesus. Model your leadership off of the servant leadership of Jesus Christ. And wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. In your very permission to your husband to be a spiritual leader in your life, you are embodying the gospel. You are making visible what is invisible to everybody. You know what? We should, through our gifts, become so powerful in representing Jesus that the greatest skeptic should begin to doubt their doubts. About Jesus. They should experience you and I in such a way to where maybe they don't become believers, but they go, you know what? I didn't know it could quite be like that. I didn't know Christianity could look like that. I thought Christianity was this whatever narrative they've created in their mind that Christianity is. And yet I see this happening. I see this love and this forgiveness and this cross and this optic of reconciliation that's happening in this body and through these people and in these marriages and in the way that they parent and in the way that they worship. It's so authentic. It's so real. I'm beginning to doubt my own doubts, whereas before I always doubted everybody and everything else. Our gifts, the aim of our spiritual gifts is to point to Jesus that brings me to what are the spiritual gifts. You're like, okay, well, if the aim of spiritual gifts is to point to Jesus, what are the spiritual gifts? I've got 22 spiritual gifts that the Bible lists for you. Are you ready? You're like, we're going to be here for a while. Well, the roads are bad, and it's icy outside, and it's so warm in here. I'm going to go through this list, and I'm going to let you study them on your own, but I'm going to give you the passages that you can go and read and these gifts, there's 22 that I've found. They're representative, not exhaustive. So there's more spiritual gifts than are even listed in the, in the Bible. Let me give you these passages really quick, and I've got some slides for them. What are the spiritual gifts that we get to use to embody and to point to Jesus Christ? 1 Corinthians 12, 28 gives us the gift of apostle, number one. Number two, the gift of prophet. Number three, the gift of teacher. Number four, the gift of miracles. Number five, the gift of, of healing. Number six, the gift of helps. Number seven, the gift of administration. Number eight, the gift of tongues. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses eight and 10. Number nine gives us the gift of the word of wisdom. Number 10, the word of knowledge. Number 11, the gift of faith. Number 12, the distinguishing between spirits or discernment. Number 13, the interpretation of tongues. 
Ephesians 4.11 adds on to those other gifts two more. 14 would be evangelist. 15 would be pastor teacher. Let's hope I've got number 15. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, 16, gift of serving, 17, encouraging, 18, contributing or generosity, number 19, leadership, number 20, mercy. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7 uses the Greek word charisma, which is where we get our word for spiritual gift, 4, 21, marriage, and number 22, let every single man cringe, celibacy. These are spiritual gifts. I'm not going to outline all of them, but you can break them up into three basic categories. There are speaking gifts. I call these the loud gifts. Speak through teaching and preaching and prophecy and utterance of wisdom and knowledge. Those are speaking gifts. The second kind of gifts are serving gifts. I call these quiet gifts. Unassuming, but yet powerful gifts of helps, mercy, administration. Oftentimes, loudmouths need administrators. Amen. Helps, mercy, administration could be under that category of serving gifts. The third are spectacular gifts or what we might seem to be more miraculous from tongues to healing This is very controversial. The spectacular ones are really controversial. And by the way, they're controversial in 1 Corinthians. That's part of what Paul is trying to clear up is the whole issue of the more spectacular, noticeable spiritual gifts of healing and tongues and prophecy and so forth. At Crosspoint, I I want to tell you just pastorally, I just want to say that We don't divide over the issue of tongues. Some of our members are going to say, I believe that some of those spiritual gifts have ceased. Others are going to say, I believe they're still operational. There are some churches that are so afraid of supernatural stuff that they kind of go all the way. The pendulum swings too far this way. And other churches are like, the only sign of spirituality is if that stuff is happening on a regular basis. You're like, Pastor, what's your position? I'm going to show you how brave I am. I take a middle road, amen, a third way. (laughs) You're like, man, this guy is courageous. But here's what I think. I think spectacular, more miraculous gifts are not normal. They, They happen, but not, if they happen normally or all the time, then we wouldn't call them miracles. We would call them normals. If tongues was a regular part of the church, then it wouldn't be spectacular anymore, would it? Or gifts of healing. Do I believe that those things are still in operation? I can't find a biblical passage that says that they're not. I don't personally have the spiritual gift of tongues, I will tell you. But I can tell you this, that the Apostle Paul said it's the least of the gifts. Because what was happening is people were saying, well, I speak in tongues, so I must be more spiritual than those who don't speak in tongues. And that's exactly what he's trying to confront. He's saying that the spectacular quality of some of the more noticeable gifts in no way vindicates somebody's spirituality. What vindicates somebody's spirituality is the ability of the human heart to confess Jesus as Lord. That's what validates our spirituality. So we are to use them as God apportions. You're like, well, my position is different. Okay, well, that's fine. I mean, I think as Christians, we can... 
we can come together and, and have a conversation in an open-handed way about the theology of tongues. But the broad point is this. No matter what our particular positions are, some of the theology, and it's very complicated, the one thing is sure, that if these gifts do not point to Jesus and glorify him, then they are being abused. Can I get an amen? And there are some churches that don't believe in tongues and they abuse the gifts that they do believe in by not pointing to Jesus. And there are some churches that believe in tongues all the time and they abuse the gifts by not pointing to Jesus. The ultimate goal and the ultimate aim is that all of our spiritual gifts, no matter which that we have, point to Jesus Christ. The aim of spiritual gifts is to point and to manifest Jesus Christ. Now, Paul goes on to talk about a couple of problems that can happen in that very goal. Things that obstruct the spiritual gifts from pointing to Jesus. And he does it with a great metaphor. Look at verse 14 and following. He says that we are the body of Jesus Christ. And using that metaphor, he uses a human body to describe the diversity of the body and yet the unity of the body and working together for one purpose, in our case, pointing to Jesus. And he says in verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And I, I think, you know, I think Paul is trying to like have a sense of humor, which I think is kind of hard for him. But he's like, think about how ridiculous it would be if a body were just an eyeball. And he goes, think about how ridiculous the church would be if it just had one gift, right? That would be crazy. It's kind of funny. He says, if the body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? I must tell you that the best feature I have physically is my ears. I must tell you this. Yeah, thank you, Eric. I mean, it's, they're, they're very nice. And Sherry's like, oh, it's such a soft ear. My daughter the other night was like, Daddy, you have such soft ears. And I was like, it's a gift. Okay. <laughs> if you only had an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many, many parts, yet one body. Now, watch this. He changes. It doesn't seem like he changes, but he does. He says in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Of you, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now he's outlining two groups of people in the Corinthian church that were messing up spiritual gifts, and primarily they were messing up spiritual gifts in their life with their attitude. Everybody say attitude. And the first attitude he outlines in this church is the attitude of insecurity. There were those parts that say, I don't belong. I'm not that, or I'm not this, or I'm not him, or I'm not her, or I'm not Susie, or I'm not Fred, so I don't belong. I have nothing to offer because I'm not as spectacular as fill in the blank. I don't belong. 
And you know what Paul is saying to the insecure ones? You're in sin. Your insecurity is a sin. And the reason why it's a sin is because you're doubting what God can do. God has sovereignly gifted you to be a part of the light of the church. And your gift might not be as noticeable or as loud or as seemingly as important, but God has gifted you to be an important, indispensable part of the body of Jesus Christ. And if you would only lose your insecurity and lift up your eyes to the sovereignty and the greatness of God to work in such small places, you would become aware of dreams and hopes and opportunities that beforehand you did not see because of your insecurity. Paul is encouraging those who seem to feel like outsiders to the elite group, outsiders to the clique that seems to have it all together, outsiders to the ones that are so important in the body. He says, you're just as important. Please believe that your attitude with your spiritual gift needs to be, God's got something for me to do, and I might not know exactly what it is right now, but he's got something for me to do. And I'm going to start looking for that something to help build up the body of Christ, to help bless this world with the knowledge of Jesus. If you're insecure, man, can I just say in a loving, friendly, pastoral way, stop it. Stop it. We need you. God has decided that you are needed sovereignly. So look up. Look up and see what you can do. Don't sit around in a corner. Don't sit on the sidelines. There's no A team and B team. I know that some of us, we never got picked for dodgeball. We were last picked in the football game, in the basketball game. I wasn't, but still. No, I'm just, I was short. I was too short. I was, I was near the last. I was middle. I was near the top. But anyways. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. In our culture, maybe you got beat up. Maybe somebody spoke words over you that weren't good. Maybe, 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 Maybe your family life did not participate in encouraging a kind of a God-centered divine design. Well, now is the time to adopt this divine design for your life. Now is the time to stop saying, I don't belong, and to realize you do belong. You are a part of the body of Christ if you believe in Jesus. And he did not save you to be an individual of God, but to be the people of God. And he saved you so that you could participate. That attitude has to be gone. Add an attitude of confidence. Because God is at work. But the second group. Ah, the second group. The I. That says to the hand, I don't need you. Now that's not insecurity. That's elitism. And in the church of Corinth, there was an elite group of people that said, all you other people to sit on the sideline, we're the spectacular ones, as you can see. And I don't need you, and I don't need you, and I don't need you. All you need is us few people to do the ministry while you get to sit around and watch. Paul is speaking to this elite group, and he's like, your attitude doesn't need to be confidence. Your attitude needs to be more humility. If you think that the church can't make it without you, that you are indispensable, you are sadly mistaken. And if you think that you can do what God has called you to do without the more less noticeable, quieter gifts, you're nuts. 
You need the quieter gifts. You need the less noticeable people. You need the quieter serving helps, administration, so that your ministry is possible. You do need the eye. In fact, Paul again, I think awkwardly, by the way, but Holy Spirit awkwardness is always good. He says in verse 23, watch this now. He says in 23, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. That's awkward. Everybody say awkward. Awkward. There's parts of the human body that you have to cover up in modesty. There's parts that we don't show off. As I remind my four daughters every single day. (laughs) But just because we cover up some parts and some parts are quieter and less assuming doesn't make them less important. And not just those embarrassing parts that are just awkward to talk about in church, but the parts that we just never think about, the lower intestine and the pancreas. We don't think about those things, do we? In fact, when we go to the gym to work out, we don't say, hey, where's the machine to work out my lower intestine? We go and we say, I want to work out the parts of my body that I get to show off so that when the sun's out, the guns are out. Amen. (laughs) But the point is, is that you can work out the guns all you want. You can pull them out in the sun. But if your lower intestine is all messed up, then guess what? It doesn't matter how strong you are. You're sick. Can I get an amen? You better feed your lower intestine really well if you want to go show off the rest of that body that's so firm and fit. And Paul is saying the body of Jesus Christ is no different. There might be parts of the church that are less noticeable, not as recognized, but God recognizes those parts. God honors those parts. And Jesus even said the last will be first in the kingdom of God. Those who come up last and seem to be the least important in heaven are going to be the most important. And those who seem to be the most important are going to be the less important, which means that all of us loud ones are going to be on the low side of heaven. And all you quiet ones that quietly serve in the church are going to be on the top shelf. Paul is like, there's no room for elitism or meism or importance in the church or super anointed over those who are not quite as anointed. Serving and doing works of helps and compassion is just as spiritually powerful as prophesying and preaching with power. Those things need to be appreciated. And as soon as they are, as soon as we all begin to appreciate one another, diversely working to manifesting Jesus in this world, you know what's going to happen? This church is going to change the world. We will send missionaries around the world. We will plant churches. We will do things you've never thought of doing before once we start appreciating all of the gifts and not just some of them. We will be a light. We will be a light. This whole common church, small church, like like our little holy huddle kind of perspective. Let it be removed and let these gifts be released. And let let the ministry not be bottlenecked by the elite group. But may expand and may we all become the body of Christ. All a priesthood of believers. All disciple makers in our quiet, our loud, and sometimes our spectacular ways. For those of you who are lacking confidence... Please begin to trust God in all your circumstances. 
please begin to see that God can do something in what you feel like is a very small, insignificant life. He can do significant things in you. And for those of you who struggle with ego or a sense of self-importance, please look up and begin to love people before yourself. Please begin to appreciate people around you. Please begin to serve people and put their interests before your own. Be confident in God. Be humble with each other. And when you do that, this attitude of humble confidence added to the aim of pointing to Jesus will make you incredibly powerful. You won't fully know. You'll never fully know. In fact, we're going to get to heaven. And Jesus is going to open up the book of our life. And Jesus is going to introduce us to people that he used sovereignly to help to come to know him in this world that we had no idea. And they're going to say to you, because you greeted at the door quietly and handed me a bulletin with a smile, I came to Jesus. Because you salted the parking lot so that I wouldn't slip and fall and break my head, I came to Jesus. Because you served in the food pantry and and talked to me and got to know me and, and showed interest in me. You made me think differently about the church than I ever thought about it. And Christianity, you made me think counterintuitively about what Christianity was. And because of your quiet service, God used you to bring me to Jesus Christ. It's not just sermons. You know, ultimately, I'm not a salesman that closes the deal. I'm an equipper that tells you to go and be missionaries and to be light of this world. That's my job. That's my job. The aim is to point to Jesus. The attitude is confident humility. And then finally, the acquisition of gifts. You're like, okay, how do I figure it out? Because I'm just learning. This is just all so new to me. How do I begin to discover exactly what my spiritual gifts are? We look down, look at verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, which is a great summary of the chapter. And he goes on to say, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. I think he does put, if you go on to read uh, chapters 13 and 14, I think he does put tongues last on the list on purpose. And he puts the more teaching gifts up at the front because he really believes that even though those who have those gifts are not more important than others, those gifts really lead the way in instructing and informing and giving revelation to the rest of the body of Christ to discover how to be the body of Christ. Verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Because without saying that those are rhetorical questions, which the answer is, of course not. Everybody's got different gifts. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. When you add this and supplement this passage with Ephesians, let me read this really quick to you. Ephesians chapter 4, in verses 11 and 12, he says, And he gave the apostles, he's talking about spiritual gifts there too, and he gave the apostles 
the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Jesus Christ. You're like, how can I begin to discover what my spiritual gift is? I do think that one way, I'm going to give you several ways, but one way is to study and to sit under the teaching of Scripture and to be a student of biblical truth. Pastors, teachers, apostles, those more teaching gifts are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And through the proclamation of the Bible in the Holy Spirit, we are inspired by truth in such a way to where we begin to sense what our role might be. So I would say, how do I study? How do I find my spiritual gifts? Number one is study. Number two, I would say opportunity. Look for opportunities to begin to serve. How can I serve? What can I do? Some of you, you love doing this because you got the spiritual gift of helps. And the spiritual gift of helps is like, can I help? What can I do? What can I do to help? Can I help? Please let me help. And you got the spiritual gift of helps, and you're always wanting to help. In fact, you want to help sometimes too much, all right? So we love you, but, but helps, service, jump in. Here's, here's the point. Look for opportunities, begin to jump in, and you begin to discover what you like, what you don't, who you are. People are going to kind of respond or not respond to you as you're, as you're serving, and so you begin to jump in into opportunities. So look for opportunities. Here's a third way to discover your spiritual gift is through prophecy. As you're in life group, as you're with people and and everything, some people got the spiritual gift of prophecy, which is the spontaneous coming to mind. That's according to scripture. It's biblical, but it comes to mind about a certain person or certain thing, and somebody will just prophesy over you, and it'll it'll feel normal at times even. I remember when I was 17, I got up and I spoke at a church, and I had a vocabulary of three words, which was dude and that's rad. That was my vocabulary at 17. And I got up and gave my testimony saying, dude, and that is rad, like for seven minutes. And a guy came up to me and said, you are called to preach. And he walked away. Then he sent a note in the mail and he put on there, dude, (laughs) you are called to preach, right? And because of that word over me, I was inspired. I began to I heard that word, I received it, I began to explore it in the course of years and really bad sermons, and I discovered a call to preach, right? And that's how it happens. Sometimes people just encourage you and say, man, you're really gifted at this, or you're really gifted at this, or you're really gifted at singing, or you're really gifted at, at helping, you're really encouraging, and as people begin to prophesy over you, you begin to discover what your gift is, but ultimately, there's no better way than just being involved in the community of the church, how important the church is. Life groups, participating, coming on Sunday morning, worshiping with the church, connecting to the church, getting involved in the community, and just letting God, through kind of steps forward and steps backward, you begin to experience who you are in Christ, how important that is. I wrote down in my notes, you can't be afraid to fail. You know, that's true of life. You can't be afraid to fail if you want to succeed, and the same thing is true with your call in life. I can tell you as a church where we're at, you know, we don't have like a lot of programs as a church. We don't have like 50 ministries that are specialized. We're not a bunch of specialists. Cross Point Church is a bunch of generalists. We have several ministries that are important. And so what we got to do is we got to jump into those ministries and use our spiritual gifts in those ministries. If you go to a larger church, what they can tell you is find the ministry you're most passionate about and get involved there. 
we're not that big. So what I have to say to you is get involved where there's need and use your spiritual gift within that ministry. Does that make sense? So if we need children's workers, you might not love kids all the time. I get it. But you can use the gift of mercy in the context of children's ministry. You, you, you might not be all into life groups and going to a home and doing community group. But you know what? You can jump in because you got the spiritual gift of encouragement. And you can meet somebody in a small group and begin to encourage them in a life group. I don't have specialized ministries. i got a bunch of ministries where we just need generalists to jump in and use their spiritual gifts within that ministry. So just be praying. Be praying about how God is leading you. But here's the thing. The acquisition of your spiritual gifts is going to come in the context of community. It will not come on a mountain by yourself. It's not going to come because you drive in your car around the city of Peoria for hours at a time. You're going to have to get involved and commit to a community of believers and let them shape you by the Holy Spirit. Amen. The aim is to point to Jesus. The attitude is confident humility. And the acquisition is a community project. 